This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Mount Park. Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Hello and welcome to Saber, production of iHeartRadio and Stuff Media. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we're talking about couscous. Yes, which has inspired this whole topic idea by a recent fight between me and my friends about what was the better side at a Mediterranean restaurant, Aviva, which I posted pictures of um, their excellent shawarma memes. Oh, yeah. They're so good. Yes. They, they have gotten me through many a Dragon Con. Yes. And that's where we were there during Dragon Con. And we talked about it in some episode um, about how they're kind of well known as... Maybe the shawarma episode? Yes. That makes total sense. <laughs> it makes total sense. Um, so there were two sides, the lentils and the couscous. And... We all took sides on which was the better one, and we even went back again so a friend who didn't get to try them the first time could try both oh, of them and weigh in. because you the full panel. Yes. Okay. And lentils won, even though one person hilariously didn't try the lentils, but she still voted for lentils. Huh. She said, Just I love lentils. Principle. Yeah. yeah, and if I had been on the couscous side, I would have really not liked that. Oh. The guy was on the lentil side, so I was all about it. Um but we aren't talking about lentils today. We're talking about couscous. And no offense to couscous. I love couscous, and it is a very different thing than lentils. Just at this particular instance, this particular battle of sides. This, this one side dish versus this other side dish. Yes. Yeah. I thought lentils was the clear winner. 
But I do love couscous, and I went through a huge couscous phase in college because it was one of my mom's faves, but my dad didn't like it, mm-hmm. so we hardly ever ate it. And once I had access, I went all in. Perhaps too much all in. <laughs> I should have backed off, maybe. <laughs> it was, I was doing a lot of, of couscous-based, like, stew dishes for a while, Oof. like college and post-college. Yeah, I was like, this is a terrific grain. For some reason, I feel like it's healthier. Yeah. <laughs> Then pasta, which it's not particularly, but... Yes, more on that in a bit. Absolutely, but first, this brings us to our question. Couscous. What is it? Well, couscous is a type of usually wheat flour grain product. That's a, it's sort of like a small round pasta. Um, the tiny balls or grains of couscous are, are rolled up from a type of coarse ground wheat flour called semolina, which is made uh, just sticky enough to ball up with, uh, with water, plus a little bit of salt, and then run through sieves to kind of standardize the side. You know, you, the smaller particles fall through and then yeah. you can kind of roll them back up into bigger ones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the balls are typically steamed until cooked. The result is a light, fluffy, chewy, just slightly tacky mass of these little amber-yellow balls, which um, which have a nutty and weedy flavor. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. And uh, may then be served in any number of ways. Yes. Couscous can be a side or a main, or it can be a component in soups or salads. There's a variety of options available. Um, a decent amount of grocery stores have them here in the States. And of varying quality. I saw a lot of uh, articles debating that. Um, Yes. Mm -hmm. There are fancy versions and cheap versions. Around the world, it's often eaten like a cereal or a porridge, um, either sweet or salty, with a fresh or fermented milk, which sounds so good. I really want to try that. Um, Or as the grain base for savory stews or desserts. Um, There's also a couscous made from fermented wheat. Oh. I know. Oh, so many things. Anyway, (laughs) in some areas, um, a dish of couscous made with seven vegetables in particular is part of local New Year celebrations. Uh, Couscous is also a traditional meal after uh, Friday midday prayers at some mosques. Oh, okay. Um, Those areas and localities. So couscous hails from um, and is a staple throughout northern Africa, particularly the Maghreb region. Um, Today, that encompasses the countries of that northern coast of Africa west of Egypt, uh, specifically Algeria, Morocco, Tunisia, Libya, and Mauritania. Um, That New Year's dish I was talking about is specifically from the Amazai people, which are the native peoples of northern Africa and the north parts of western Africa. Um, Amazai is a preferred term for who Europeans previously called the Berber people. Um, The plural, by the way, is a Mazayan, um, which it'll just come up later. Anyway, um, but yes, uh, among Amazayan and Arabic peoples and everyone in the region, really, um, there are a lot of cultural and subcultural and seasonal and event-based and individual ways of preparing couscous. It's Mm -hmm. it's up there with, with pasta or rice as like a foundational hospitable, iconic, shared cultural dish that's uh, that's part of uh, a group identity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So much so that in Algeria, one local word for couscous just means food or nourishment. Mm-hmm. One particularly worldwide spread spice blend for couscous, though, is rasla hanout, um, which usually consists of cumin, nutmeg, cinnamon, coriander, pepper, clove, turmeric, and ginger. Kind of mix in there. That sort of thing. Mm, Yeah. mm -hmm. And I remember that's a lot of what I was making stews with when I was using a lot of couscous. That was a lot of, like, Moroccan spice blend recipes that I found. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One thing I didn't know 
is you can buy super fancy couscous-making pots. They can be so fancy. Uh-huh. Okay, so these traditionally have a bottom pot for uh, for water or broth that creates the steam, um, in with which you might also cook meat and or veg uh, for the stew that you want to serve over your couscous. Uh-huh. Um, and then there's an interlocking top pot that's a steam basket for the couscous grains themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, these pots can be these like lovely painted ceramics or like really industrial aluminum or fancy hammered copper. I I need to, I, I just want to look at some. I don't need one because I don't make enough couscous. <laughs> but I want to just enjoy, admire. Yes. Oh, gosh. Um, yeah, it's, it's weird. Like, especially in the States, couscous is so often bought pre-made and dried as a mm-hmm. sort of like instant or low-fuss product, um, similar to dried pastas, but even lower fuss than that, I think. Um, but yeah, it can certainly be made by hand. And according to fans of the product, you absolutely should. Um, there's an article in Food & Wine that described it as the difference between like buying shelf-stable bread and baking your own bread at home. Yeah. Which is a dramatic difference. Very much. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also do so in batches and dry some for cooking later. True. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, those pots... I, oh man, I, I loved I loved the words involved in this episode. Um, those pots are called couscousiers oh, in French. That's great. <laughs> that's so good. <laughs> Speaking of words, um, the etymology of couscous is a little bit twisty. Mm-hmm. Um, so okay, there there are a couple related words from different languages in the region. Uh, there's the Arabic cascasa, which is the verb for to um to pound small. And there's an MSI language word, um seksu, which uh, means like well rolled or formed. And either of those words might have led to the onomatopoeia keskes for the sound that the balls of couscous make when they're being sieved. Uh-huh. Um which might have led to the name for the product being couscous and also for the steam pot that they're cooked in, which is cascas in Arabic. Lots of options. There are so many options. History, mystery, etymology edition. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the Hebrew word for Israeli couscous translates to little crumbles. Oh. Also, apropos, accurate. Mm-hmm. Oh, and uh, and I wanted to say a quick word about semolina Flour. Um, it, it's made from the starchy insides of grains of a particular species of wheat called durum wheat. It's the same stuff that's used to make pasta. And it can either be uh, ground more or less coarsely, but but often appears um, more, more like a fine cornmeal than what Americans would typically consider the texture of a wheat flour to mm-hmm. be. Um, it's only about 5 to 8% of the world's wheat grown. Huh. Yeah, relatively small amount. Yeah. Um, couscous can be made with other grains, though. Sometimes corn is used in Brazil. A millet or a barley or cassava may be used in different parts of Africa. What about the nutrition? Well, um, uh-huh. uh, couscous by itself is mostly carbs. There's a little bit of protein in there from the grain, and some fat is usually used in the making of it. It's got a lot of selenium. Um, it's a great base for other foods because it will help fill you up, but it won't particularly keep you going. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that golden color, um, that golden color of couscous comes from our old friend, carotenoids, um, which also make carrots and uh, cultured butter yellow. Huh. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you know? We do have some numbers. Absolutely. So, okay, um, couscous and pasta markets are usually reported together. Um, the pasta part does dominate, but globally, couscous is expected to be a $6 billion a year market by 2026. Look at you, couscous. I know. Yeah, <laughs> both sides are growing. You know, they're easy to throw into the base of an inexpensive meal, and folks these days appreciate that. Yes, true. 
Couscous is huge in France. It's on so many Parisian menus. More on why in the history segment. A survey in a French magazine in 2011 indicated that it is the third favorite dish in France as a whole and the first favorite in eastern France. Wow. Mm -hmm. In the U.S., couscous has become more popular as uh, fascination with the Mediterranean diet has grown, along with vegetarianism and, in general, a desire for more healthy food or food that we perceive as more healthy anyway. We're very susceptible to marking, we humans. Yep. Marketing. <laughs> yes. Marking and marketing. Either yes. way. <laughs> marking as a target for marketing. Oh, yes. There you go. Mm-hmm. 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 In some regions, couscous has a symbolic and religious meaning. Muslim women prepare couscous as part of a celebratory family get-togethers for births, for wedding feasts, and it's often eaten at the end of Ramadan. Because of this, couscous is associated with fidelity, solidarity, fertility, abundance, and God's blessing. Women who make couscous are expected to make an invocation and talk about positive things like prosperity and make religious conversation. In some areas. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. And we do have some history for you here, as you might suspect. But first, as you might suspect, we have a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this, I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And yes, we're back with another controversial history segment. Ah, yes. Yes. Buckle up, everybody. (laughs) Uh, A lot of regions like to claim ownership over couscous, particularly in North Africa. A lot of countries do. However, some historians suggest that the ancient Romans Hmm. may have invented it (laughs) back when they controlled the area and planted wheat there. 
I don't I don't think that's it. No. <laughs> <laughs> the Amazian were making it by 238 to 149 BCE, or that's according to one historian. Uh, yeah, uh, based on descriptions of pots that resemble today's couscous vessels found in tombs from the region during that era. Another uh, historian claims couscous wasn't really a thing until sometime between the 11th and 13th centuries. Yeah, the, the 13th or 14th century was when it started popping up in um, Arabic cookbooks, which was a few hundred years after Arabic peoples began invading and populating the region. Um, etymology suggests that the indigenous Amazian were making it before the Arabs got there. Whatever the case, it was a very popular dish in this region and quickly spread to neighboring areas, the Middle East and sub-Saharan Africa. The 13th century is when the Amazian introduced the Iberian Peninsula to couscous, where it was quickly adopted and disseminated. This influence spread to Sephardic Jews who made it their own and took it with them to countries that they fled to for asylum after they were largely forced out of the Iberian Peninsula, hence the modern-day popularity of couscous in Israel. Mm -hmm. Two cookbooks from this time period featured couscous recipes. An anonymous North African cookbook from the 13th century written by Aleppo also had a recipe for something resembling couscous. A Syrian historian active at the time made four references to couscous in his works. Couscous was a popular choice among the Moriscos as well, former Muslims in Spain who had been baptized and accepted into Christianity, usually who had been coerced into doing so, mm -hmm. often with death threats, mm -hmm. after practicing Islam was banned in that country at the beginning of the 16th century. Many were expelled, and couscous got tied up in all of this mess. Eating couscous could earn you a prosecution from the Inquisition. Wow. Yep. Couscous made its way to Turkey by the 16th century. Around this time, Portuguese royalty and nobility kept eating African-influenced couscous. The 17th century Spanish court cookbook with a couscous recipe probably had to do with the author's Portuguese heritage. When it comes to Italy's couscousu, a popular Sicilian dish typically served alongside fish stew or maybe even alongside a dessert, historians think it could go back to 827 to 1063 CE, the Muslim period, or when the Sephardic Jews settled there towards the end of the 15th century. By the 16th century, couscous made it to Brazil, introduced in part by the influence of the Portuguese and in part by arriving enslaved people from West Africa. And from what I read, there are two types of couscous in Brazil. Northern, frequently eaten for breakfast, a steamed pudding of sugar, tapioca flour, and coconut milk. Or southern, steamed cake-shaped corn flour with spices, vegetables, and chicken or fish. Frenchman Francois Rabelais wrote about couscous in his 1542 novel, Gargantua. <sighs> yes. And by the mid-1800s, uh, large-scale couscous mills were operating in places like Ferrero, Algiers, and uh, industrializing production. Meanwhile, France was doing a bunch of colonizing in North Africa in the 18 and early 1900s. Um, and they were sticking around, would not be totally overthrown until the 1960s. Yes, and this kind of brings us to what we were talking about in the beginning of why couscous such a thing in France. Yes. Okay. In the 1950s, expats from French-influenced Morocco, Algeria, and Tunisia, also known as the Maghreb, started settling in France, going on to become the largest immigrant group in that country. And, of course, they brought their cuisines with them. And, of course, some of them opened restaurants. Some of those restaurants were upscale. For instance, you could have the Grand Dame of Moroccan cuisine in Paris, 
Fatima Hall, a chef and cookbook author who opened a restaurant called Mansoria in 1984. And from what I understand, people just know about this place. Yes. Um, It was a white tablecloth Moroccan restaurant that attracted a lot of celebrities and politicians. For her recipes, she went to Morocco, devoting years to interviewing women and a cast of female cooks that is quickly vanishing. She imbued her restaurants with her feminism, hiring only women. She believed that, quote, a dish exists to heal each one of our woes, regardless of religious or political disputes people can communicate when they share a meal. And this was something that she lived by. She spoke at a 2001 conference in Israel called The Cuisine of Connections and spearheaded the interfaith couscous for peace. Mm -hmm. Quote, what is important is to hear the stories that the dish, the produce, the techniques have to tell us. I like to think of myself as an ear that can hear when cuisine whispers. She has so many good quotes. I was like, Annie, you cannot make this whole episode quotes (laughs) from her. Oh, maybe future episode. We could do a profile on her. Yes, I would be so in. Heck yeah. Simultaneously, we see the birth of Israeli couscous. When the Jews fled Eastern Europe for Israel in droves in the 1950s, the then-Israeli Prime Minister David Ben-Gurion was desperately searching for a cheap, easy-to-mass-produce grain alternative to rice. Voila, the vaguely rice-shaped noodles called petitim, here in the States called Israeli couscous. Mm -hmm. People sometimes called them Ben-Gurion's rice. When rice was once again readily available, Israeli couscous became more pearl-like in shape. And I think that's what I'm more familiar with in my personal experience. Yes, I think that that's the only type that I've seen. Um, It's apparently mostly a children's food there. And like folks produce, therefore, fun shapes like hearts and stars. Oh, cool. Um, So cute. Y'all write in. Uh, But yeah, the the general internet consensus is that it is not a like fancy food over Mm -hmm. there the way that it has been adopted as sure. over here, um, it's more like a like an inexpensive staple and like a semi-nostalgic reminder of lean times and comfort food in the past. Okay. Hmm. And then another story goes that Israeli couscous didn't make it in the U.S. until the 1990s. Mika Sharon, an Israeli chef and cookbook author living in New York, had Don Pintabona, an American chef and cookbook author, <laughs> over for dinner. Sharon served Israeli couscous at the dinner and Pintabona started serving it in his New York-based restaurant, and then spread from there. And the rest is fancy restaurant history. True. <laughs> mm, no, none of those harder star shapes, though. No. Bummer. Yeah. In 2007, a uh, Franco-Tunisian film came out called, in translation, The Secret of the Grain, um, referring to couscous. Um, it's a story about a Tunisian immigrant family living in France. Oh. Yeah. Um, as of 2013... In an experiment that simulated a mission to Mars with six volunteers testing all sorts of technologies and, like, living situations for four months in this special station that was built out in Hawaii, um, it was reported that the volunteers loved their couscous option. They brought 25 pounds and apparently went through it in a flash. All right, couscous. Right? Hey. (laughs) In 2016, Couscous had a viral moment, a particularly viral internet moment. Um, Science communicator Steve Mould used a stringed bow drawn across the edge of a large metal plate to demonstrate how different parts of a solid object will vibrate or not when when sound waves interact with that solid object. Um, And basically what's happening here is that like a a flat surface is vibrated at residence. Um, Different parts of it 
vibrate in opposite directions with the borders between those regions, um, or I think the waves cancel out, uh, being these, these lines of zero vibration in between these vibrating areas. Um, so a spill of couscous across the surface of the plate aligned itself into those calm areas, um, which form a type of geometric figure called a Chladni figure, um, after the early 19th century scientist who we think is the first person to have noticed this. Huh. So if you've ever seen, like, sand or couscous on a, on a big old, like, yeah. square plate of glass or metal, yeah, that's what's going on. You know, <laughs> couscous, got to get involved in science. <laughs> I love it. Um, and then uh, this year on March 29th of 2019, couscous was submitted for consideration um, for addition to the UNESCO list of intangible cultural heritage of humanity. Um, uh, specifically, quote, knowledge, know-how, and practices related to the production and consumption of couscous. Hey. <laughs> mm-hmm. Ambassadors uh, got together from Algeria, Morocco, and Tunisia, and Mauritania, um, and put it forward jointly uh, for the 2020 cycle of decision-making. So we'll hear about that. We'll keep you posted. We will. Sit on the edge of our seats. Gosh, I hope it gets in there. I hope so, too. I'd be mad if it didn't. I don't see why not. But, you know, we've seen our, here in the U.S., our snack debates. yeah. Uh, I was looking through UNESCO's archives, and um, there's already one entry in there on on, on these lists for a pilgrimage um, through a certain area. And, and part of the um, the cultural rights of the pilgrimage are are making are the making of couscous. So I can't imagine that it wouldn't be in there. That it wouldn't be decided to be put in there. Well, you know what <laughs> I... side we're on. <laughs> Anyone for... that is involved in the making of this decision is listening. <laughs> For once, Annie is on Team Couscous. I am on Team Couscous. <laughs> and when we do lentils, I'll be on Team Lentils. But I can be on both sides. You can. I can bridge this. You can. That's what <laughs> Couscous all about. Yes. And lentils. Yeah. Food in general. And food in general. Food in general. I guess that's sort of why we make, why we make this show. Yeah. Look where we've come. Aww. I'm getting all... <laughs> My heart's doing a thing. <laughs> Hopefully a good thing. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> oh, yeah. but, uh, well, while we figure that out, right. uh, we're going to take one more quick break for a word from our sponsor, and then we will be back with a little bit of listener mail. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. 
Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from ATT Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. ATT Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit ATT.com slash hypergig for details. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with listener mail. I don't know how to make the couscous. That would have been hard to do, though. <laughs> probably just freaked someone out. I'm sorry. Oh, probably. Yeah. Was... And it can't be edited. <laughs> yeah, this is all live, people. <laughs> oh, gosh. oh, gosh. No, it's not. Okay. Ugh. Allison wrote, I spent a number of years of my adult life thinking I was immune to onions making me cry. Uh-huh. I've never had more than a slight irritation when chopping onions. Then one day my eyes started burning horribly and watering. I couldn't figure out why until I realized that I was wearing glasses instead of contacts that day. Since then, there have been a number of times when I'd inadvertently started chopping onions while wearing glasses with painful results. This should be unlikely since I tend to wear contacts at least six days a week. Uh-huh. But I have now learned to plan ahead on days when I'm using <laughs> onions in a dinner recipe to wear contacts that day. Just a tip for anyone who might wear contacts. And she's not the only person who wrote in about this. Oh, that's great. Several people did. Huh. So I guess. I guess it's a thing. It's some kind of barrier. Or, I don't know. Sure, yeah. Like soaks up <laughs> onion. <laughs> you know, when in Magic School Bus and it shows like those little yellow squigglies and it's supposed to represent Something in the air. Is that just me? I'm not making that up, right? <laughs> I'm sure you're not. I don't specifically remember what the heck you're talking about. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I believe you. And also, I guess it would make sense that, um, that you know, it, it's something about the, the way that the contact interacts with the, like, liquid coating of your, that, that stays on your eyeball, your, like, tear film. Right. Um, hmm. Yeah. So, I don't know. Oh, now I want to go look up more stuff about tear films. They're really gross and terrific. The surface of your eyeball is real weird, y'all. It is. <laughs> I'm torn if I want to know more or not. <laughs> oh, you got a little bit sad there. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, also, while I was doing recent research, I learned that um, that specific types of Vidalia-related onions, um, like Maui onions in particular, have way less sulfur than most other types of onions. So they're a little bit sweeter and less, like, piquant. Mm-hmm. Um, and that might lower the, like, factor. Yeah. I feel like it does. Every time I cut open an onion, I forget about the, the thing, and then <laughs> it's too late. I'm always so mad about it. Like, oh. Damn it. <laughs> Damn it, onion. It's the one benefit of not being able to eat onions. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm kind of impressed by it, though. It's one of those things where I'm annoyed, and then I have that moment of, like, yeah. Good for you, onion. Good on you, onion. Yeah, you got me good. 
<laughs> oh, um, Claire wrote, The biggest food waste culprit in my two-person household has always been letting fresh ingredients or leftovers go bad before getting around to cooking or eating them. The problem was that I would be feeling highly aspirational while at the grocery store, plan to make some big fancy meal, and come home with a bunch of fresh ingredients only to not be feeling it when dinner time came around and resort to easier fare. Gosh, I feel you. <laughs> um, cue the sad violin for the sad bunch of carrots languishing in the bottom drawer of the fridge. The other problem came when I did make a big batch of something and then couldn't manage to eat it all before it went bad. I know, I know, these are the very definition of first world problems. But in the last year or so, I've started using the heck out of my freezer in a new way, and it's made a huge difference. Using a muffin tin and a set of silicone muffin liners, I freeze most things we make shortly after cooking them. Once frozen through, I pop the muffin-sized cubes out of the liners and store them in large freezer bags. Side note, I reuse the freezer bags as much as possible, but I'm still working on a greener option that doesn't rely on plastic packaging. This way, the cooking inspiration doesn't have to coincide with dinner time. There are no worries about leftovers going bad. Plus, the little cubes make it really easy to heat up one or two servings at a time. The only downside is that we're starting to run out of freezer space, and I live in terror of the day that the power goes out and everything melts. Here are some of the things I've had success freezing this way. Soups, so many soups. We have five different soups to choose from at any given time. Curries, cooked beans, refried beans, and lentils. Ratatouille, cooked rice, quinoa, and other grains. Mashed potatoes, whipping cream and milk for future use in recipes, frozen in the pre-measured quarter cup portions. We don't drink milk on the day-to-day, but it's great to have on hand for baking, etc. Bread dough and pizza dough. Anyway, I know preserving by freezing is no new revelation, but using the muffin tin method has been a real game changer for us. Hope it helps someone else tackle their food waste problem as well. I love it. I yeah. I I've done something similar to this, and it does really help having like the pre. I know how much this is mm-hmm. yeah. kind of portion sizes. Um, but I'm inspired. I'm yeah. inspired to try more. Yeah. Um. One of my favorite things is uh, if I'm baking and a recipe calls for only an egg white or only an egg yolk. Yeah. Um. Then I'll freeze the extra bits in the freezer. Um. Mm-hmm. In little Tupperwares, and uh, <laughs> as opposed to freezing them in the microwave. Um. <laughs> and uh, and just label them with how much it is. And yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm I'm a single lady, so the problem I have a lot is that a lot of stuff doesn't come in single portions. Human sizes, no. Yeah, so the thing about milk is a great one because I can never have milk. I will never drink it before it goes bad. But now I can just hey, freeze it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so thank you. Thanks to both of you for writing mm-hmm. in. If you would like to write to us, you can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, all at SaverPod. We do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio and Stuff Media. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can go to the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressings, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. 
And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Hiking! Give me a date night. Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles. Cheese! Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.